We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. We are still on the Imitate series, and today will be part 12, and we are continuing the consideration of the submission of Jesus and the apostles. And I said again that that's very crucial for us in this season, because a lot of things that we need to get right in our work with God. I said on Sunday, and I want to pick up from there, that growth in God, and this is a concept that a lot of believers struggle with, I dealt with it sufficiently on Sunday, that growth with God is essentially advanced mind control. Right? In case you missed everything else, don't forget that. Your spirit is perfect because it's not your spirit. Your spirit is perfect because it is not your spirit. It is his spirit in you. And so the spirit of God in you that comes into you at the time you're born again is immediately and instantly perfect. Nobody by what he does can improve the spirit of God in a man. Because the spirit of God doesn't improve. So he forces us to reconsider what we term spiritual growth. A very popular phrase in Christianity. Spiritual growth, what does that imply? Because your spirit is not growing. Aha. Your spirit does not grow. To say your spirit grows is to say that God's spirit in you gets better. God's spirit in you improves. That's why we came up with what we termed and what we know erroneously, unfortunately, as revival. Revive a man's spirit. Which spirit do you have? It's when you have a spirit that you can even talk about your spirit needing revival. But what does Galatians 4, 6 says? God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. God sent forth the spirit of his son. Start it again. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying. Whose spirit is in your heart? Spirit of his son. Spirit of Christ. Who is crying our father? So when God the father responds to you, who is he responding to? Christ in you. Or else he wouldn't know you. TPT. Six. And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry. You get it? It's the spirit of God that is in you. It's the spirit of God that is the seal of your salvation for the day of redemption. And that spirit is perfect. So spiritual growth, therefore, is the measure to which you can download your spiritual reality into your mind. To enable your mind, inform your body what it should do. So guess what? News flash. Where does spiritual growth happen? In your mind. And so a lot of believers are babies while convinced they have grown. Because they think they have a fat spirit. <laughs> you get to me? Because you think you know all the Bible has to say about redemption. You are mature. You are a baby. You think you know all the Bible has to say about praying the Holy Ghost. You think you know everything about being saved eternally. So you now start to pride yourself as one who is advanced in the things of God. If your mind is not advanced, you're a child. A child who is full of spiritual knowledge that amounts to nothing. And this is a challenge for you, for you here and for the entire body of Christ. A challenge to revisit what our theology has taught us spiritual maturity is. 
Because your spirit is perfect. Your spirit doesn't mature. Spiritual maturity is your ability to download from your spirit, your reality in your spirit, into your mind because your body will respond to your mind and your mind alone. So the measure to which your mind is renewed by the downloads it receives from the spirit of God is the measure to which you will stop acting nonsensically and start to act in line with your calling. Ephesians 4.1 And now I beseech you therefore to walk worthy of the calling, not worthy for the calling. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. TPT. Verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank. Given to you in your divine calling. Does that make sense to you? Walk worthy of your calling. You are a son of God. Look like it. You are a son of God. Talk like it. Act like it. Behave like it and stop being a child. That is spiritual maturity. Putting off the old man. Taking on the new man. Handling issues of life with stability and consistency. Rising above pettiness and, and vices of the flesh. Mastering life. That is spiritual maturity. The measure to which your spiritual reality, which is constant, can affect your variable mind until your mind becomes stable. Therefore being a transmission of your spirit. Your spirit is stable, no doubt. Your mind can be volatile. Does that make sense? So the measure to which you renew your mind is the measure to which the Spirit of God takes control and sits in your mind and your mind starts to do stuff according to your spirit, which is the Spirit of God. That's maturity. So the difference between sons and sons or men and boys in sons is people who have so much spiritual reality and have so much spiritual knowledge but do not have the mental capacity to act it out. Are you following me? Your mind is not renewed, so you cannot act out your spiritual reality because your mind cannot grasp it. Your mind cannot prove it. Your mind cannot comprehend it because your mind is not renewed. But if it's prayer, you can pray for 12 hours. Don't you know people like that? You can pray for 12 hours and nothing changes in your life. And you say, God, if it's you, why did I pray? Why did nothing happen? Because you are a baby. You equated spiritual reality with spiritual exercise. So for you, spiritual maturity is the level to which you can exercise spiritual things. In other words, you can pray for 12 hours, you're spiritually mature. Talk to me now. That's what church has taught us spiritual maturity is. I can pray for 12 hours straight. I can fast for three days dry. Who cares if your fasting is dry or wet? I can do water fast, 40 days. Fruit fast, 90 days. Spiritual exercise is not spiritual maturity. Now, I'm not saying you don't do spiritual exercises. That's what I'm saying. But don't equate your spiritual exercises, which are actually physical exercises targeted at improving your spirit. I said what you call spiritual exercise is actually physical exercises aimed at bettering or improving your spirit. In other words, if I fast this much, my spirit goes day much up. If I pray longer, I can touch heaven faster. So, and these are all actually, in essence, physical exercises aimed at improving your spirit. Perhaps if I have buffeted my flesh for three days, perhaps I will see heaven clearer. Perhaps if I fasted for four days, when I lead worship, when I preach, there will be more power. So actually what we even call spiritual exercises in Christendom are physical. It's physical. So it's the whole thing. And then we go as far as confusing that for spiritual maturity. I've been in the law for 30 days, 30 years, which means I've spent plenty of time praying. You have just started. I've spent plenty of time preaching. You have just started. I've spent plenty of time. Do you know people have won to the Lord? And we equate that for spiritual maturity. 
And the same person will beat his wife. Same person will fight her husband. Same person will use a pen and rob stuff. The same person will have issues with everybody around you. Even in church while forming spiritual maturity. You are a toddler. You were not taught well. What we are dealing with now is the result of your wrong teaching. That's what helps you to love people in spite of them. I just realized you were taught wrongly. Now I'm having to deal with the aftermath. Until I correct it by God, I will have to put up with your nonsense. That's how I love people. Because if you are taught rightly and you receive God's word rightly divided without prejudice, without prejudice, if you receive God's word rightly divided without prejudice, there's some nonsense you are doing you will never do. You will you'll be embarrassed that you ever did. Are you following me now? You'll be embarrassed that you, actually, you ever did. So spiritual maturity is mind control, mind renewal. You're able to download your spiritual reality into your mind. Keep your mind subject enough to respond to nothing except what it picks from your spirit. So maturity is a man who is governed by his mind, having fully subjected every faculty of his mind to his spirit, such that if your mind moves you, it was your spirit that moved you. You are mature. (laughs) You are mature. If your mind moved you, Heaven and earth can bet. Ah, it was your spirit that moved you. Because you have brought your mind into such alignment with your spirit that your mind is an express reflection of your spirit. That is when you are mature. Guess what brings you there? Teaching. Until we come. Are you following me now? To the measure of the fullness of the stature. Stature. It's not spiritual. That's why Jesus grew in stature. Jesus did not grow in spirit. Jesus had to grow in stature. I showed you this a few few, few weeks ago. So spiritual growth is not spiritual. That's what makes a man full and mature. So we measure maturity in the things of the spirit by how much renewal and control you have over your mind. As is subject to the spirit. Uh-huh. Because your mind is not born again. And like I said to you on Sunday, it will never be. So a lot of us struggle with submission because we are spiritually immature. Immaturity meaning you have refused to allow the dictates of the spirit to act upon a faculty of your mind long enough to bring about the desired result. That's why I talked about perfection, meeting perfection. You're perfect in an area, but you need perfection in another area. Overall, you're not imperfect, but you don't have some perfections until you have them. Make sense? So Jesus had to learn perfection, even though he's perfect. The man, Jesus. The man, Jesus, had to learn perfection. But God is perfect. Yeah? God is perfect. God as God is perfect. Hmm? but the man Jesus had to learn perfection because the man Jesus was not the God Jesus at the time that he was man Jesus he was son of man and God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent because the son of man can repent and the son of man was given an opportunity to repent but he's not a man that he should lie, the father. Nor is he, the son of man, that he should repent. So, so God cannot be tempted with some things because he's not the son of man. He's not man. 
But when the Son of Man came, he was tempted with that thing. He's tempted with it. And he could have abdicated. But because he had grown in stature. Are you following me today? He had conditioned his mind. He had learned obedience and was learning obedience by the things he suffered and was suffering. Because see, the sufferings of Jesus is not all about the cross. That's why it's called the sufferings of Jesus and the glories that follow. Sufferings, glories. When he was being spat on and being called a wine bibbler. Imagine that you're the savior of the world and I say, look at you drunkard, get away from here. That was part of his suffering. That's part of his suffering. Because your righteousness, your right standing is because Jesus lived right. Not because Jesus died. It's what a man did and achieved that he transferred to you. So you are righteous now. You are in right standing with God because Jesus stood right. Jesus was the answer to God that what the Adam failed to do, how the Adam failed to live, this second Adam has come and lived the requirement of a man and has gotten the pass mark and has then transfused it to you. So now in the eyes of God, you are living right because Jesus lived right. This is life that transmits righteousness. I've taught this before. Are you following me now? So that's where Jesus grew. In human stature. In mind stature. In the ability to be tempted to be made king and walk away from it. Because even though he is king, even though the government shall be upon the shoulder, not this government. His mind. He changed his mind. He said this to identify this is not the government. Walk away from it. Because some of you here would have built three tents and gone, after all it was prophesied that the government shall be upon my shoulder. Sir, come and become king. Oh, confirmation, fulfillment of prophecy. After all they said government. And you are a spirit being, but you make silly mistakes because your mind is not trained right. But instantly, he knew. Ah, so he tells them, he said, my government, my basilia, my kingdom is not of this world. He descended right in his head. That was a man who was growing in stature. Are you here? Yes, he enters the place and flogs everybody. Jesus got to a point where he would not have done it. The room is quiet. His ministry lasted three years. The Jesus that flogged people grew out of and became the Jesus that said, do not charge it against them. They know not what they are doing. What do you think that was? Growth. In stature. This is written. My house shall be a, a house of prayer for all nations. You have made it a den of thieves. And he flogs everybody out and we have preached a thousand messages from there. Shortly after, Jesus would not have done it. Jesus. Jesus. Son of man. Son of man. Grew in stature. Jesus grew in his assignment. Check the language of Jesus when he came on the scene. Scribes, hypocrites, Pharisees, liars, thieves, foxes. Watch the trajectory of his language as he goes towards the cross. He's learning obedience. He's learning perfection. Jesus, the man, had to be perfect to be accepted as the lamb. Jesus. That's why he's the pattern son. He's not the pattern son just because he did everything right. Because we watch how he grew and we grow the same. Or else how do you explain that Jesus grew in stature? How do you explain? That he got perfect in spirit? His spirit was perfect. How shall I conceive this boy? The spirit of the higher shall overshadow you. 
So how was he conceived? By the spirit of God, he arrived perfect, spirit-wise. Do you understand? Isn't that what angel told Mary in Luke? The spirit of the higher shall overshadow you. So Mary conceived by the spirit of God. So the boy arrived by the spirit of God in the child, in the son who was given. How would he need to grow? His body would just be growing old, but his spirit is the same. You think if he hadn't gone through Gethsemane and had the, 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 the weight of that cup, you think he would have even gone to the cross? think he would have stayed on the cross? Somebody shouted, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He thought it was a joke. When scripture says, and God turned his face away from him, what kept him there? He had been processed. His mind has come, had come under subjection. He had resigned himself to the fact that I came in the volume of the books as is written concerning me. So please change the re- definition of spiritual growth and rightly divide the word of truth. You cannot be growing if your mind is not getting better. You can't. You can't be growing. Pride yourself in whatever level of spiritual revelation. Pride yourself in your spiritual reality. That's why most times you struggle to look like your reality because your mind is not lining up. Confess all you want. Confession shifts nothing. Nothing. If confession does it, then all the motivational speakers are better at making people change. All the guys that give you mantras to chant. Just chant it, chant it, chant it till you become a fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. Name it and claim it. But that's why as you get born again, you then need to apply the word of God. Your spiritual reality must bring to bear upon your mind. Otherwise, your mind will always be in diametric opposition to God's move. That is the state of the church today. A lot of people love God, love church, love pastor, love the fact that they are eternally saved, love the fact that they are in the church of the brethren, and yet find themselves walking in opposition because their mind is not renewed. But they are convinced they are spiritually mature because that thing happens in your mind. That's why you have prayed prayers and prayed prayers and prayed prayers. Father, change me. Father, change me. I know you didn't change. It's word and life. Where there's a life question, there's a word answer. As I teach, answers come to questions. It's word and life. Who who can be honest enough to to raise their hand? I pray. Father, change my stubbornness. Yeah? Father, change my hardness. Father, change my stinginess or whatever the, the, the issues are. Father, break this addiction. Father, whatever it is. And guess what? You prayed that prayer genuinely. With everything. You prayed the prayer until you became frustrated. Because the more you prayed, the, the more the issue magnified. Is it like God is not hearing me? I thought if you ask anything in his name, he will do. Why? Because you are trying to find spiritual solution to a mental issue. Trying to ask God what he doesn't have to give. Because it's in your mind. When you pray for it, it tells you, what does it tell you? My grace is sufficient for you. (laughs) My grace is sufficient for you. What are you looking for? So take grace from your spirit because grace comes to teach. Grace comes to the grace of God, Titus 2:11. The grace of God that brings salvation appears to has appeared to all men, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them. Grace teaches. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace is the teacher. 
So you're struggling with something for which grace is sufficient. In other words, you have enough supply from what has been taught you of the word of his grace to bring that to bear in that area of your mind that's controlling what you're struggling with. It's not a prayer point. It's a growth point. And then you start to grow. You start to admit that, first of all, I'm struggling with this thing and this struggle is not in my perfect spirit. Because most times you yourself are confused as to why you are struggling. If you're honest with yourself, you're either proud and you don't want to admit it or you are, you are, you are sure you are struggling and you hate the fact that you're struggling. And, and I hope and I pray that you're in the latter category. Because you're in the first category, nobody can help you, not even God. For God resists the proud. New Testament, James, not Old Testament. It is in the New Testament that God resists the proud. He just goes around about you. And continues to do his thing. Circumvents you and keep, because you see, nobody can hold God's work to ransom. I said on Sunday, grace does not need recommendation. You don't have to write a letter to introduce grace. <laughs> Move it anywhere. If it's on a man, the man will manifest. It's grace. You can't sabotage it. You can't stifle it. You can't muffle it. Even a mess can't shut it down. So you're honest with yourself. You know, man, I'm struggling with this. I hate the fact that I'm struggling with this. And you know what? Everybody to whom I'm accountable and everybody around me should know and ought to know that, please, I am struggling with this thing. Hold me accountable to it. Let me grow. Then you are sincere. Other than that, you are a fraud clothed in Christian skin. Because you must come from the sincerity of knowing that I'm struggling with this thing. And then now we're giving you how to overcome it. Stare into it, stare, you know, stare into it in your mind. Confront it with your spiritual reality in that area. Watch it crumble under you and you become subject to it. And that's how your spirit comes and informs your mind. Your mind informs your body, informs your actions. Oh, I, I love God. I know I'm angry all the time. Because you have not shed the light of your spirit into the place of your mind where anger resides. You still call it my anger issue. Why did she upset me? Why did he upset me? He knows I have anger issues. Why did he upset me? Because you need to bring light to it. To bring light to it. That is the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove his will. Otherwise you will be saved eternally. And struggle all through your earthly existence. marking no relevance. Because you didn't grow up. Wanting God to bring some things to pass in your life that you can never handle, even though you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But guess what to make those things manifest? Mind control. I repeat, this is what separates the men from the boys among sons of God. This is what gives some people mileage over others. And you wonder what is so special about them. They have gained mastery in an area. They've gained mastery. They've gained mastery. It's your mind. That's where you pull your logia to become Macarius. Pull it down from the spirit. Because you have concentrated so much on the finished work. And not understand that the finished work in rest puts your mind to work. Otherwise, if listen, if your mind were not crucial in your development in God, God would not have said anything to you about your mind. You should have just left your mind the way it is. Think about it. Are you here tonight? You would not have said anything because I'm in, I'm, after all, salvation is not threatened by your, your mind, which it isn't. 
But for you to appropriate it, you must reboot your mind. You must. Father, why, why, why? I pray, I fast, I pray in tongues. Hey, the same person here, the same person said, I, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. It's the same person telling you, renew your mind so you can prove. It's the same person, no? Most times we, when we start contradicting ourselves, we forget that it's the same Paul we are quoting. <laughs> the same Paul. You quote for A, it's the same Paul. You come and quote for B. Rightly divide the word of truth. Gain stability in your spirit. And that's where the struggle of everybody is. It's mind struggle. Mind struggle. Mind struggle. Paul is dealing with people who are belittling him again in Corinth because one, his small stature, two, he was not an eloquent speaker. Paul preferred to write than speak. He wasn't. I am probably a hundred times more eloquent than Paul. Apollos was ten times, twenty times more eloquent than Paul. Apollos had eloquency of speech and no revelation knowledge. So Aquila and Priscilla had to take him and teach him revelation knowledge, New Testament, to add up to his eloquency of speech, which is a gift. Paul did not have the grace to speak publicly. He didn't. He preferred to write. He figured he was more fearsome when he wrote because he realized that when he was with them, go and read 2 Corinthians, he realized that when he was with them, they, they belittle him. He says, but when this time around, when I come, I will be very, very strong with you people. And he tells them, put off the old man. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove his will. We are saved by Paul's gospel. Yes? yes? yes. Not Matthew's gospel. Yeah. Matthew didn't write the gospel. Neither did Mark. Or Luke or John. They dabbled into bits and bobs of it in its, in its promissory sense. In its coming sense. But the New Testament actually starts when Jesus dies. So you're saved by his message. And you want to live by a different life. You're sustained by the same message that you're saved by. So you cannot come and use Paul to contradict Paul. Because you make, you make a conclusion that Paul is stupid. And unfortunately, this might sound shocking to some of you, there's a lot of theologians that actually believe that Paul didn't have his head screwed right because they cannot interpret Paul's letters. So now, their conclusion is that Paul was confused. Paul was self-inspired. They forget that even Peter, sir, Peter, Peter struggled with Paul's letters and called it scripture. The STP would have taught you that. For people that come and say, yeah, the Bible, the scripture, you know, Paul did not write scripture, he wrote letters. Peter said they twist this, his letters as they do the rest of scripture. So in Paul's time, they already, in Peter's time, they regarded Paul's writings as scripture. Before canonization, before Bible, there was scripture. New Testament scriptures. Huh? So we can run around all we want and form spiritual thingy. You know, finished work. The finished work put your mind to work. So you receive a download of the finished work as practically as possible in your life to the measure that you have grown in stature. I pray. I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. He did. All that he did, he sat down and calculated his If I don't work, I will die. So everywhere Paul went, Paul set up his business first. Everywhere Paul went, he set up his business first. He never allowed himself to be subject to the church, even though the church should look after him. He and his companions were tent makers. So they had also like Paul and Co. Industries. 
Yeah. Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, one read your Bible, Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers, builders or construction workers, if you, if you may, in our day. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. Paul was a tent maker. Apollos was a tent maker. The entire place they set up shop. So it's their business they brought, Antioch branch. Yes. Who know how they job? <laughs> so his mind didn't go to sleep because he was eternally saved. His mental faculties, they were not abdicated because it's the righteousness of God in Christ. And this is what New Testament preachers have failed to understand themselves and teach. You teach all that Jesus did. You don't teach the people how to practically walk into it. And then you yourself, because you now see that it requires a bit of effort on your part. You have conditioned yourself to believe that Jesus did all the work. I don't have to do nothing. Don't eat. Why are you eating? Why are you going to the toilet? Jesus did it all. Why are you walking? When Jesus has finished work, the same Paul is the one that says, but he that does not walk should not eat in church. Same Paul is walking. But you, there's something about it. It's a familiar spirit. It's not the spirit of God that makes a person feel like because of my spiritual reality, I'm higher than natural happenstances. It's a familiar spirit. You are deluded. Sit down and serve somebody who has put his mind under control. And watch somebody surge ahead. Are you here? Watch somebody forge ahead. I just saw a message now from someone that says that Romans 8, 16 says, I am a spirit. It's because it's, that scripture says the spirit of God bears witness with my spirit. So does that make me a spirit? And it's a valid question. Does that make me a spirit? The first time you breathed in Genesis, whose breath was it? Why didn't he give you yours? And God breathed into man and man became. Why did God not command breath from man for man? So at inception, God gave you his breath. What, what is the essence of a sinner? The essence of a sinner is that he is dead. What does it mean to be dead? If a dead Adam lived 900 years. Spiritual death. Or, or life in the absence of the spirit. Does that make sense? In the absence of the spirit. And when that spirit is absent, another one is present. Spirit of this age. Spirit of this world. When you're born again, what happens? What is regeneration? The coming alive of your original spirit that sin killed. That is the doctrine of regeneration. That's what happens at salvation. Your spirit is regenerated. A generator has been dead for years. No kickstarter, no alternator, no radiator, nothing. Because rust has acted upon it. Wear and tear have acted upon it. Maybe a nuclear fallout has acted upon it or something. And then somebody comes and strips away every old part of that thing and puts it back together again and it awakens to do the same function it used to do before it died. That's what it means to regenerate. To return something to working order. Are you following me now? Now, it, can it be said, why will it be said to be regeneration if I'm giving you a brand new spirit? It should simply be generation. Not regeneration. Until you understand that being born again is simply an act of returning you back to the order. 
The reason why we are confused about it and, and appear to look at it as though we're born again, you know, is, is because we, 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 you, 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 you forget to understand that. I mean, it's in 1 Corinthians 15 that says the, the, the first is the natural and then the spiritual. That's because when you died, you ceased to exist. Hmm? When Adam, Holy Spirit, help me. I just want to answer this question before I continue. When Adam died, I died before I was born. So I was born dead. Does that make sense? In other words, I died before I was born. So I was born dead. It's because I should have been alive. I was alive. I died. When I died in the garden, I was born. I now am born dead. And now we now start to read my reality from when I was born. But I existed before I was born. So there was a time where I was not dead. Even before I was born. Are you following me? Technically speaking, therefore, my being born naturally was my second birth. My being born dead was me being born again. Because by my grand original birth, I was a living soul. Yes, are forcing me into territories. God breathed into man and he became Nefesh. Then that Nefesh died. And because that Nefesh died, everybody that he gave birth to arrived dead. So now we now struggle with being born again and not understand that being born again is a return to status quo. So you're born again into a man that never existed before. The, the man that never existed before applies to the man in the flesh. Because it's now as I am alive now, it's now that I am alive in my spirit. Because I was born dead. But the me in the mind of God is not born again. It's regenerated back to who he originally ordained me to be before I died. Do you understand? So being born again, what we call a regeneration, is a return to divine order. That's why time is structured backwards. sir. As we are going forward in time, sir, we are actually going backward in time until we arrive at the point in... in, Listen to me. Let me finish. Let me finish. Until we arrive at the point in eternity where time started. Going forward in time is actually going backward in time until we meet the place where we started and return back to the day of the Lord, which it always was. Because it was the fall that brought about time. So going forward in time is going backward in time to to eternity, which is timeless. Again, this is why I don't engage in certain conversations. I just take my time and be teaching small, small. So you are a spirit because he gave you his spirit. Not because you generated a spirit or because he generated an independent spirit for you. Does that make sense? The spirit of the son is in you. You are a son. The spirit of the son becomes your spirit because you are a son. He sent the spirit of his son into your heart. Crying of a father. Because you are son. Spirit of son. You are a son. The spirit of the son becomes your spirit. Because you are sons. In other words, you have never and will never have a spirit independent of God's. It's God's spirit. It's God's breath. Does that make sense? 
So when man fell, what did he do? He deactivated the manifestation of the breath of God in him. And resigned himself to his physical faculties. So he was, al- he was dead, though alive. Alive, yet dead. So God kickstarts the process of taking you back to what you have always been in his mind. That's why he could be in love with you when you were an enemy of God. Because that's not how he created you. You understand? God, so God is in love with sinners. Not because they were sinners, but because they are sons who became sinners. So he never stopped seeing you as son. Even when you were born, sinner loved you. So he was him loving you back to sonship. Back to how he has always seen you. You get it, guys? So why is always seeing you? It's time for us to start living elementaries. It's time. It's time for us to live these fundamental principles. And let's move on to maturity. Maturity happens in your head, your mind. Stretch your mind. Offload every nonsense. Don't think you know. It's, it's an unregenerate mind that is even able to inform you that you think you know. Because if your mind is renewed, you will never feel like I know. Because the way the, a renewed mind speaks <laughs> is that I may know him. Hey, at the end of his journey, at the end, after he has said, I've fought the fight, I have run the race that I may know him. Hey! <laughs> I was telling about the Corinthian church and Paul is writing to them and he says to them in 2 Corinthians 10 you know, um, verse 9 uh, the, the, the opposition to the gospel and opposition to what he was teaching starts in 2 Corinthians 9 and then it goes into verse 10, chapter 10 and then in verse 5 actually go, go from verse 1 go from verse 1 this will help somebody 2 Corinthians 10 and 1 for his letters they say are weighty verse 1 now I Paul myself I'm pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence I'm lowly among you please switch to TPT let me, let me help some people here now please listen for I need to address an issue I'm making this personal appeal to you by the gentleness and self forgetfulness of Christ I am the one who is humble and timid in quote go back a little bit humble and timid when face to face but bold and outspoken when a safe distance. So physically speaking, get some mind where Paul no gets. <laughs> Message. <laughs> Say pray for yeah. And now a personal but most urgent matter I write in the gentle but firm spirit of Christ. I hear that I'm being painted as cringing and wishy-washy when I'm with you, but harsh and demanding when at a safe distance writing letters. Verse 2. Please don't force me to take a hard line when I'm present with you. Don't think I'll hesitate a single minute to stand up to those who say I'm an unprincipled opportunist. Then they'll have to eat their words. TPT verse 2. <laughs> now I plead with you that when I come, don't force me to take a hard line with you, which I'm willing to do by daring to confront those who mistakenly believe that we are living by the standards of the world, not by the spirit's wisdom and power. In verse 9, the people that were arguing that the apostles were not living according to the line of scripture that they were preaching. And, and so they were beginning to sway the Corinthian church to believe that the, Paul, the, the authority or the position that Paul occupied as an apostle was questionable. That's the backdrop of chapter 9. All right? So Paul is saying, yeah, because me, we, we, don't, we don't have physical presence. And only when we're right. So people are now coming and are now bamboozling you and intimidating you with presence. When I come, I will show them presence. Let's see whether presence, no past presence. Do you, do you understand? That's the long and short of Paul's letter. Okay, so go on. Verse 3. Mind, right? Maturity is mind control. Verse 3. 
New King James. That's the context of this verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. It's not talking about physical war. It's not about spiritual warfare. Very soon, in five minutes, you will see by scripture what I've taught you, that scriptural, spiritual maturity is in your mind. It's in the mind. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare, go back to verse 3. Go back to verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. So we will not come and chance those guys physically who are resisting the gospel. It's nothing to do with witches and wizards, anything from your father's house. People who are resisting the preaching of the gospel will not come and chance them because some of you are not feeling like me. I don't know how to talk. When I'm even here, I don't even talk. It's when I'm away, I'm not writing. But we will not attack them physically. For the weapons of our warfare against these people who are not who are opposing doctrine and not carnal, but are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Stop. King James says, casting down imaginations. Why hasn't church ever thought about what realm imaginations exist in? Casting down arguments, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Next line. Bringing every every thought. Not every spirit. Our warfare is a mind warfare. Casting down imaginations. Bringing every thought. Subjection in obedience to Christ. Stay in verse 5. Put the TPT up to help some people. We can demolish every deceptive what? That opposes God. And break through every arrogant. That is raised up in defiance. Of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every and insist that the thought bow in obedience. Are you getting this? So what was the war? Spiritual warfare was war in the mind realm. Because we cannot, the truth of the gospel cannot permeate you and bring results until your mind and your thoughts are captive. So your mind and thoughts are captive. And that's why we struggle. With growth, because our mind is not renewed. The spirit is bubbling. Oh yeah, bouncing in that Lord. I'm bouncing in that Lord. Amen. And your life is not reflecting growth because you have refused mind renewal. So you work against the things you love. Because the love is not mind thing. <laughs> love is not mind thing. We mess love up because we love from our mind. But love did not originate in the mind. God is love. God is the origin of love. And God, according to the word of Jesus in John 4, is spirit. So love cannot be carnal. If love is of God and God is spirit, the fruit of the spirit. Do you understand? If love is of God, and it's not power, this is scripture. Love is of God. He that loveth, loveth not, loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. God commended his love towards us. And God so loved. Love is God. And God is spirit. Dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or will ever see. 
and the fruit of the spirit is love. So love is a spirit thing. Why are we messing it up so badly? Because we try to engage by the mind, especially an unregenerate one, an exercise that is only spiritual. And some of you, if you're going to be honest with yourself, your mind is screwed up. So you can feel right and act wrong. And until you're honest enough with yourself to admit it, you continue to struggle and frustrate everybody around you because your actions don't, don't line up. You're spiritual, yes, no doubt. Love is from your spirit, but it's trying to be played out of an unregenerate mind. So for you to love rightly, you must allow love, which is spirit, to renew the love department of your mind. Delete all the drivers that originated a false concept of love from your head. Wipe it. Download the original drivers of love from the spirit dimension that you are as it pertains to love. Then you can love correctly. Otherwise you mess it up. And keep saying, I never intended to. I didn't mean to. And sometimes if you're honest with yourself, you are more upset than the person you upset. Because you're upset that you allow yourself to get to the point where you upset someone you love so much. Your mind is messed up. But your spirit is right. Wipe your mind. Renew it. Because their kingdom concepts will never grasp until our mind is renewed. Ever. Ever. You will always struggle with them. Your ego will get in the way. Your ego will get in the way. Your ego will get in the way. Nothing that you feel like you can fall back on when nothing else appears to be working for you. It's ego. I'm trying to not allow myself to deviate too much. I don't have this, I don't have that, I failed in this, I failed in that, but I have this. You can't take it away from me. That's how ego works. Ego is not a function of what you have. Ego is a function of what you don't have. Falsely magnifying what you think you have. Such that you are threatened when it is attacked. In other words, ego is not felt by what I have. I have car. Oh, I'm so big. Ego is felt by I have, I don't have that. I have this. You are looking at me like I have. But in my, my heart, something is paining me that I don't have. So because I don't have, I make up for my perceived loss by unnecessarily amplifying what I think I have working for me. So people start to play their age card. Don't talk to me like I'm older than you. They are trying to grasp and magnify what they have to compensate for what they think they don't have. I'm your boss. Don't talk to me like that. I don't care how, you, how many masters you have. He's just feeling bad that he's not educated. Stay in this house. You will learn well. Don't be in a hurry. Oh, I'm married. I don't have children. You have children, so I magnify. At least my husband is finer than yours. At least my, my, at least my, my body shape is better than yours. Yeah? My body parts haven't dropped like yours. I'm busting bubbles. Teaching you stuff. That's it. Most times when ego manifests, feel sorry for the person. Yes, sir. Don't be upset. They're just magnifying self-perceived deficiencies by magnifying what they think is their selling point. If you don't renew your mind, 
that thing will plague every part. Everything God sends to you, everyone God sends your way, every word God brings to you, your response to be the word, to, to the word will be. Meh. Why are you talking about me like that? Why? And because it's magnifying what you think you don't have. So you can't grow. You're upset at the word. You're upset at the messenger. You're upset at God. And you can sleep well at night. Only a twisted mind can do that. Are you here tonight? So you'll always get in the way. Your ego will get in the way. Because you think that whatever comes is, is trying to remind you of what you don't have. Is it because I don't have house? And you're talking to me like that. Only in your mind, you are little. In your mind, you are little. Like the Israelite spies that went to Jericho. Numbers 13, I believe. We saw ourselves little in our eyes. And we are very sure. Because we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. We, we also saw, we, saw the, we are sure they saw us too like grasshoppers. Meanwhile, another portion of scripture tells you, now Jericho was tightly shut for fear of Israel. Same siege, same siege, same war. Jericho was tightly shut up for fear. It's fear that made them say, bring out those spies you are hiding, Rahab. Yes. So they are not here. Fear. Jericho was tightly shut up for fear of the Israelites who had managed to smuggle themselves in and conclude they look like grasshoppers. Before a people that were afraid of you, that's why they shut the gate of the city. Is it because I don't? Is it because I'm not married? Is it because you're married and not married? Is it because Jam didn't favor me five times? Sounds funny, but people build strongholds around this. Is it because I'm sharing chair with you? If if life did not go the way that it went, you think I'll be here for you to talk to me like that? Such a person, no matter how Holy Ghost filled they are, cannot walk in the fullness of God's will. Because your mind cannot handle it. Yes, sir. Because <laughs> when God gives you the husband that you are thinking is the problem, why people are talking to you like that, you use the husband as a trophy. Yes, sir. You spend all your time proving to the world you are married rather than being married. Yes, spend all your time posting pictures, me and my hobby, me and boo, me and bae, me and up and down. Because most people are trying to prove to the world that they are married. WhatsApp status is not my marriage certificate. Yes. Get the business. You spend all your time trying to prove to somebody that you are finally arrived. You'll be too consumed by materialism to actually settle and enjoy rest in God. So because of that, it's away from you. It's yours, but you can't enter it. And you can't enter it not because God hates you, but actually because he loves you. You can't handle it. You won't see it. Because faithfulness happens in the realm of the mind. Faithfulness to little. Engagement with little. Celebrating what is another's. It's all part of mind control. It's part of mind training. You see that somebody is happily married. You celebrate with them with no prejudice. No prejudice. I promise you that if there's prejudice in your heart... No matter how much you covet it, you will ever have it. If you make your way into it, you will ruin it. Yeah. Mark my words, let's talk in a few years' time. If it's not truth, I won't tell you. Let's talk in a few years' time. Don't make plans to have 
what you have belittled. Don't make plans to have what you have insulted, what you have disregarded, what you have disrespected, or what you have selfishly coveted. You will not get it. If you simplify your way into appropriating it, you will lose it. Because it stays as far away from you as your mind is unrenewed. It draws as close to you as your mind is renewed. That's the way the principle works. How am I? I'm trying everything. I'm struggling. It's not coming. Are you receiving answers tonight? Yes. Yes. This battle is your mind. Yes. It's your mind. It's where you're conditioned to people that there's some clients that will never come to you. Yes, ever. If they come, you'll mess it up. Yes. People will never approach you. They, you already have a precondition. You respond to people and you bite at them like a tiger shark. I don't know why the good ones are not coming. Because only the area boys ones that can come. The ones that can stand your nonsense. I know that they will break you down. Not everybody is looking for a stallion in a woman. Yes, if you want a wild animal, we'll look for one. I'm squaring with you guys. We'll look for one. And the guy will enjoy breaking you and taming you. And when, he's, when you are broken, he doesn't feel adventured anymore. Doesn't feel like there's anything left. So he goes on to something else. You struggle with stuff in your head. Faithfulness is a mind thing. Faithfulness is part of growth, maturing. You're faithful to little. Your, your, your posture to it is correct. It's not my own. It's not my own. What's my business? I'll look and pass. He that is faithful to what pertains to another. It's at the place of faithfulness you're growing in stature. So really, there's nothing between you and God's will for your life except your mind. Nobody from your village. Have you realized that now? Nobody. Renew your mind. Get a grip on your mind now. Get a grip on your mind now. Let me try and push this forward. I think I mentioned last on Sunday that actually again, I mean, so you understand renewal, you understand regeneration now? Your spirit and Christ's spirit. Yeah. And it also makes sense when I said on Sunday that really renew your mind means to offload it and take on the mind of Christ. Think like he thought. Think like he thought. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Put it up. Just came up in my spirit. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. King James says, think on these things. Put that verse again in the TPT. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasting your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Start the verse from the top. Dissuade or disengage your thoughts continually from all that isn't authentic, isn't real, isn't honorable. That's the flip side. Isn't admirable, isn't beautiful, isn't respectful, isn't pure, isn't holy, isn't merciful, isn't kind and isn't praiseworthy think on these things means don't think on anything else yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
That's mind control. So when anything shows up in your mental faculty that is contrary to this thing, that is spiritual warfare. Casting down an argument and every thought. Are you here? I'll come back to this. So I put here interestingly that this is one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit. Renewing your mind. Implanting the mind of Christ in you to the measure that we let him. Right? It's the measure that we let him. He enables us or he gives us the grace to renew our mind. Why do I say that? 1 Corinthians 2, 13. I need, I need 16. You know, the backdrop of this scripture is how who knows the mind of man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Just like who knows the mind of God except the spirit of God which is in him, right? But as it's written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It has to come to the mind of God, mind what God has prepared for them that love him, but he has revealed them to us by his spirit. The spirit such as the deep things of God, yet yeah, deep things of God, yeah? All of that. And then it comes to verse 13. So these things we also speak not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? This is quoting Isaiah and quoting Job. But we have So what is the ultimate end of your mind renewal? That you stop to think except it is what he thinks. That's measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That you will not even think if he's not thinking. You are happy to be without a thought if it is not the thought of Christ. You are mature. Even if you know two scriptures. If you know two million scriptures and have thoughts that oppose the mind of Christ, you are a baby. You shouldn't preach in church. You shouldn't be a pastor. You shouldn't be a minister. You shouldn't do anything and just sit down and grow out of your babiness. And you can have one or two scriptures. You might not even be able to recite all of them. But you have grown discipline in your mind to the point where if it is not the mind of Christ, you are not even thinking. You are mature. Just before you celebrate and go, well, it's good. It means I don't have to learn a scripture. You will not even know the mind of Christ. Before you jubilate. <laughs> so somebody was about to go, hey, they even struggle to recite Bible said. So you see, spiritual maturity is not what we have always defined it to be. It's not. What is Christ thinking about this thing? I think the exact same way or die trying in this body of flesh. You exalt your body of flesh too much. Too much. You rate your body of flesh too much. Paul says if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. But your personal bodily convenience... Always comes first. That's the problem. So you can, your spirit is tugging at you. Telling you, this is what God's word says about this. You're like, this this is not what I want to do. You're not submissive. 
The Spirit of God is so gentle. He doesn't fight. He will speak because he is omniscient. He knows you heard. He knows. You speak and he will leave you. You are going into the trouble. He is in you. Feeling the pain of your nonsense in you. He never leaves, but he never fights. So he will tell you this is what you are to do. And you heard it. No son of God is without the witness of the Holy Spirit. If he stops speaking, you are dead. You are a son because he is leading. Uh, as many as are led, lose leading, lose sonship. Then you refuse to follow. You are in sonship, but you have abdicated leading. Don't want to follow. He's not going to fight you. Holy Spirit said, my friend, turn around, turn around. Turn around, turn around. He's not a forceful spirit. He's not. He cannot be forceful and be a comforter. He cannot be forceful and the fruit of the spirit is gentleness. Meekness. That can be sometimes perceived as weakness. He doesn't fight. So he flashes the word and you see that flashing and you read that signal and you ignore it because again you feel like if you respond, if you obey, you have lost a part of you. You will stay in that class until you are willing to submit that part of you on the altar of obedience. Because it cannot lead you beyond your willingness to submit. So at that point it becomes spirit versus mind. And he has told you what the spirit of God says. It's up to you to let that become the mind of Christ in you. You have the spirit of God. You need the mind of God to run the spirit of God. So a believer who struggles with submission is one whose mind is not submitted, renewed to process the Father's will. Did we get that? One whose mind is not renewed to process the Father's will. I put here, there's no Christ-likeness or glory to be found in always having to be forced, bent, broken, or cajoled to do what should come naturally to you as a believer. I'll say that again. There's no glory or Christ-likeness to be found in always having to be forced, bent, broken, or cajoled to do what should come naturally to you as a believer. Spiritually mature people act naturally from their spirit because their mind has been renewed. Spiritually immature people tell me, I was not happy. I didn't come last Sunday. He didn't call me to check on me. Again, this is what separates men from boys among sons. Oh, I'm bouncing. You came to call me. You remembered me. No mother or father forsake you. He will hold you up. So your consistency and preservation is not a function of another brother remembering you. It's not a function of that. You're not a son of God. You're not preserved because I remember to call you today. No. I mean, it's nice when it happens. But my sonship is not predicated on that. So if I now make it an issue, I'm immature. Are you following me? If you make it an issue, you're immature. If you have to be forced, bent, rehearsal is 5 p.m. And then you want us to tell you, if you come at 4.45, you'll stand before you come. That's partial responsibility. That's for babies in the faith. If you have to be bent, forced, cajoled to do what should come naturally to you as a believer, that's not Christ-like. And that's indicative of a, of, a, of a person whose mind is not submitted. Don't tell me what to do. Again, 
What brings that about? Ego. What brings ego about? What you don't have that is paining you. I'm teaching systematically. So the, the small one that you have, you want everybody to realize you must reckon with me because of this one that I have. This small one that I have now that I'm feeling like a boss lady, you now come and tell me what to do, where to sit. So even sitting, I cannot sit in peace where I like. Must I sanitize my hand? Yes, you must. Branch the toilet, wash it. Sanitize it. If you saw how many germs are on your hand, you will not be running your mouth anyhow. Put your hand under a microscope. The monies you have handled, where the monies have come out from, the human anatomy lessons those monies have taken during the course of the day. The door handle of your cab, the railings on stairs. If you're like, hey, you're not taking your hand, put in your nose. Wipe your nose, wipe your face. Poke your nose. Come to church. Now say, go and greet somebody. You know? No, wash your hands. Sir. But she don't, don't, why should I, I will sanitize my hand when I feel like I should sanitize my hand. And then here's the stupidest one. Believers walking in rebellion and saying the Holy Spirit told them. If the Holy Spirit wanted me to do this, he should have told me. You're a baby. Your mind is twisted. Why didn't the Holy Spirit tell me personally? You should tell me personally. Because you, you believe that you are Holy Spirit. You are so paddy paddy. He will say to you, Chukudi, mene, mene, overseen. Obey instruction. Ah, God told me. Kana. You stay in that class long enough until your mind is renewed. Most of what we are looking for leading in, we already have leading in. You know, we say we believe in God's word. But we refuse or we reject God's word waiting to hear from God's spirit. I'm a believer. I'm led by the spirit of God. But I reject God's word. God's word is not strong enough to change my mind about a particular thing until the Holy Spirit tells me. And again, I'm challenging religious mindsets that are funded by familiar spirits. You don't see that in scripture. A lot of us are looking for leading in what we have already been led about. The Holy Spirit should tell you to forgive. When the word on forgiveness came by the spirit of truth. Who will guide you into all truth. So this word is the word of truth by the spirit. If the word says it, that's all the leading you need. The word says give in the local church. Support the ministry. Respect elders. And you say you're waiting for the Lord to lead you to give to your pastor. Waiting for the Lord to lead you to come to church. For the Lord to lead you to submit to your leader. The Lord, because you and God, you, you have you, in fact, you're the one that sponsors the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You're the one that sponsors the Holy Spirit. You are so robust. Holy Spirit will not do anything. He must. Come and tell, I know my word said, but because of my special relationship with you, I figure since you are helping my ministry so much, let me come and also you know, lead you on a higher level than the word. So you can know that me and you have a relationship. There's a lot of what we have touted as ministry with the Holy Spirit as witchcraft. 
anybody that claims to have an esoteric relationship or special relationship with the Holy Spirit that transcends God's word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, is walking in witchcraft. Because the Holy Spirit cannot lead you any different to what his word revealed in Christ has to say. And therefore you need no special manifestation, special theophany in order to walk worthy of your calling. The word of God says it, do it. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Full stop. So every time you, are, you encounter an issue that requires forgiveness, you dispense it freely. You don't wait for us to preach about it. So again, it is a level of spiritual immaturity that will cause you to do something only because pastor said it. What does the word say about it? The word says this, do it! You're mature. That's submission. Coming under something. Coming under someone because your mind is renewed to grasp. You don't need to walk in rebellion. So personally, I take with a pinch of salt people who keep saying the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit said. And it's not consistent with what the word says. A spirit is definitely speaking. It's not holy. And and listen to me. I don't care who you are. I'm not like Paul. I say my own online. I say it offline. I don't say it around. I'm not, a guest. <laughs> I'm not a guest minister that will come and scatter and then go back to my city. We day here. I'm here. I don't say it and run. I say it publicly. Nobody can claim to have a, an esoteric relationship, a personal, peculiar relationship. I have such a special re- You are lying. You're lying. I have a special relationship with the Holy Spirit. He tells me, you know, he guides me. No, 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 no. It's, we are all sharing. It's our Holy Spirit. It's community Holy Spirit. Yes, community spirit. He's leading all of us the same way about the mind of God. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to not forgive until next week. Ever. If we catch that Holy Spirit, we'll beat the holiness out of it. We'll beat the holiness out of that spirit. Or into it. The Holy Spirit cannot ever tell you to withhold forgiveness. He cannot. He cannot. That's contrary to the mind of the Father. Settle into it. Settle into it. It's actually not difficult to be a word-abiding son of God. Settle into what the word of God says. Stop forming Holy Spirit in defiance of his word. In other words, God's word says something. You ignore what the word says and you're forming a relationship with Holy Spirit. A spirit is at work in you. It's not holy. And we don't have to believe he's holy because you said he's Holy Spirit. That's why we have discernment of spirit. Quote it with holy all you want. We know when he speaks. He speaks expressly from the word rightly divided in the light of Christ. He will not lead you to insist on sitting on a chair when you have been told to move. He will not. He cannot. He cannot. He's read of order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. 1 Corinthians 14 and 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. All things. He cannot ask you to walk in disorderly conduct. So how you get clarity in the voice of the Holy Spirit is to understand by his word what he can never say. So once something comes up, you know by the deposit of the word in your inside, this is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not speak contrary to his word. We don't have any such precedent in scripture. We have none. There's New Testament believers that believe it. I don't believe it. Because that's been extra biblical. Are you following me now? 
that's been extra biblical. That's been pseudo christianic You believe God, you believe the word of God, but believe there's additions to the word of God. But we believe in the sufficiency of God's word. That everything God intended for us to know, his word revealed and taught in the Holy Spirit contains. If a letter is missing, we didn't need it for salvation. If a book is missing, we don't need it for salvation. And I'm fine with that. Genesis to Revelation, we are still struggling. They're looking for other books. Still struggling. They're looking for other books. The Lord spoke to me, nothing in scripture confirms it. Nothing in scripture conf- divided in the light of Christ confirms it. He spoke to me beyond the book. You are mad. I said, You're what? Mad. I said, You're what? Mad. I'm not stuttering. No. Become like the right time in, in Ecclesiastes of, of the, of the acquisition of knowledge. You have gotten so much knowledge, you have missed your way. Do you know what ugly precedent God will be setting? If he speaks to every individual billion person, totally different from everybody else, we cannot have a kingdom. Can't have a kingdom. We can't have a kingdom. Because God speaks to you, pitches you against me. Speaks to me, pitches me against him. Speaks to you, pitches you against this. And everybody's saying, Holy Spirit. Let all things be done decently and in order. So you see, our work with God is actually very practical. It's not mysterious or mystical at all. It's plain. It's plain. If you will allow yourself, come off your high horse. Humble yourself. Let the word fix you. Because only the word can. You're not strong. You yourself, you're not strong enough. At your most willing state, you are not strong enough to fix yourself. How much more when you're working in resistance? You're hopeless. At your most willing, your most willing state, you need him. How much more when you're working in resistance? I know the word says, I don't want to. I know the word says, but doesn't the other word say? I know the Bible says, doesn't the other Bible say? Yeah. Bible says it here, but doesn't the Bible say it's there? So now you start using Bible to attack Bible because at that point you're trying to justify your own. And I don't, because people are saying, people are talking about how if you give them a scripture, they bring another one. They are not, they are not interested in harmonizing the word of God. Because it should first of all disturb you that a scripture came up that negates your position. It should already disturb you. To get you enough to sit down and be open to learning what this discrepancy is and how can it be harmonized? How can I have a Bible that doesn't seem to agree? That's already a very, very precarious place to be in. And that should be your response. Ah, how come I've always believed this and then you brought this from the same Bible? Ah, same Bible, okay. Let us look at this because Bible cannot be confused. Now, you don't do that. You go to the point where we tell you what scripture says. You now bring your own scripture to counter it. You have already believed that the Bible is divided. And the spirit in you is not of Christ. According to John, in 1 John, is an antichrist spirit. Because you cannot even think of using scripture to fight the scripture. You should, even if you don't know what the other scripture is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even if you don't know the other scriptural standpoint or viewpoint, you should not be already pitched at scripture with scripture. That's not, that should never be the posture of a son of God whose mind is renewed. Ever. Never be found there. If you find yourself there, repent profusely because you have just attacked Christ. Anti-Christ. Repent profusely. Prof, how did I say it? Profusely repent. Cry out, Father, I repent for standing against you in the church. It should never be the posture of a son of God. 
the word I, I have seen what, what you said the Bible says. But doesn't the Bible also say? Antichrist. Genesis 3 spirit. Did God say? Did God really say? Did God not say? Using what you perceive is what God said to attack what God said. There's no justification. So even if you don't know it, even if you don't think that what you know is absolute, allow the word of God to inform your thinking. Don't bring the word of God subject to your thinking. We give you a scripture, you resist it. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. Doesn't it doesn't also say somewhere? No. Those are people trying to win a philosophical argument. Or looking for something to justify what they are doing that they don't want the word of God to cause them to change. You here tonight? There's no glory of Christ likeness found in always having to be forced, bent, broken, or cajoled to do what should come naturally to you as a believer. And frankly, as, as, as church, we get tired of you. We get tired of you. And there's a place as pastors where we reserve the right by scripture to leave you alone. In other words, it's not by force to pastor everybody that comes to our church. I can repent of pastoring you. It's scriptural. It's an apostolic pattern. We're an imitate. You get to it. I have the right to say, you know what? I, clearly, this pastoral relationship is not working. And you can stay in church. Enjoy the worship. Enjoy the teaching. I am not accountable for you. And heaven ratifies it. Because you cannot be pastored in the absence of your absolute submission. If I have to force you or break you or bend you at every time, you are showing a lack of Christ-likeness in attitude. And you are tiring the person that is trying to stare you. Do you understand? So I can totally recalibrate my pastoral relationship with such a person. And you still stay in church having a great time. Having socials. Making friends. Business partners. Having fun. Enjoying family. But having no one to account for you. It's tiring. It's tiring. Always having to fight and break and bend you. And force you. And do that. And do the other. Constantly in and out. In and out. In and out. We are spending energy that we should be spending discipling people. Trying to control one person. We will leave you there. Oh, we love you. Praise God for your life. But we don't have to pastor you. Are you hearing me now? And when that happens, you can't blame anybody but yourself. And most times you don't realize that you need a pastor until you need one. (laughs) Most times you don't realize that you need somebody to speak for you, to hold you up, to guide you, to speak into you until you need one. There's nothing, no joy. No joy. It's just grief. You will not do anything until we break you. Until we force you. Until we cajole you. Until we preach a whole message dedicated to you. If you're like, now that you have preached it, you know. I think it's serious enough for me to. Holy Spirit, how is it? <laughs> now you not hear one voice. Yes, yes, I think, I think. It's set, it's set, it's set. You don't understand, you don't understand that the only thing, I've told you guys over here, over and over. The only thing worse than God not answering your prayer is Satan answering on his behalf. Because it's how you will look to hear something long enough, you will hear it. When you hear it, you now give glory to God. Because what came fed your preconceived notion about what you wanted to hear. You will stay, you will cry long enough, he will whisper it. It's the spirit of these guys. That's why I was going, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. I'm going to look at you and what Holy Spirit said. Versus what the word of God says and both of you are out of line. And we know it wasn't holy. That was the spirit, definitely. The very essence of believing is that you offer no resistance as far as acting in line with God's word is concerned. The very essence of believing is that you offer 
no resistance as far as acting in line with God's word is concerned. The very essence of believing is that you offer no resistance as far as acting in line with God's word is concerned. Did you get that? Somebody wonder why, why have I used the word obedience? Because really what we know as obedience is a practice in submission. Obedience essentially is the practice or the art or the discipline of submission. So a believer is a submitted person. A believer is someone who walks in obedience to someone. So obedience is the art of submission. For everything you tell me to do, I cannot do. I have the choice to not do. For everything you tell me to do, even if I want to do it the way you tell me to do it, I can, I'm sure I can approach it ten other ways. So to choose to obey is to choose to be subject to what I am instructed above what I would have preferred. To choose to be submissive is to choose to obey what has been instructed over what my own preference would have been. So really, obedience is the practice of submission. Of doing what I'm told regardless of what I feel. Until I get to the point where I don't feel anything contrary to what I'm told. Progressive submission. Perfect submission. Disregarding how I feel and do what I'm told. Until I grow in stature to the place where I don't even have what it takes to generate a thought that is contrary to what I'm told. Has anybody been instructed tonight? Obedience is the practice of submission. And that was the attitude of Jesus. John 6 and 38. For I have come down from heaven, see here Jesus, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's submission. That's obedience. I have come down from heaven not to do my will. In other words, as I am now, I have my own will. Or I can have my own will. But that's not why I came. I came to do the will of him who sent me. You are not sent without a will. So you can't remix the terms and conditions of which you were sent. In the absence of the will accompanying that assignment. That was the attitude of Jesus. Philippians 2 and 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death on the cross. You see that? Being found in appearance as a man. In other words, Jesus was man. Son of man. Tipity. Help us with tipity. He humbled himself. You see that? And became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a Perfect example, even in death, criminal's death by crucifixion. Okay, I'm going to die. Can we at least change how I'm going to die? That's what he's saying there. But even to how he died, he was obedient. Yes, sir. And his death model, his death method did not take him by surprise, sir. He knew the scriptures. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew. So why didn't he start to engage to change the terms of reference? Okay, God, yeah, okay, last, last. I'm going to die. Can he just not stab me? Just cut my head. Pa! It's off. Why cross? And then even the cross, there were meticulous detail of prophecy that followed his death. No bone of his will be broken. They will look upon him whose side they have pierced. Water and blood will gush out of there. Put a crown, a crown of thorns on his head. I've taught you that already in this house. Put a crown of thorns on his head. Lash him the 30 minus 1. Each thing a prophetic significance. Mm. And it came in the volume of the books. 
He could have changed his terms of reference. Yes, okay, I would die. I would die. Can we just we are just a little simplify? Can we just simplify a little bit? Does it have to be so gory? Does it have to be so 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 rated, explicit content? But even to his death method, he was obedient. No resistance. Because the father said, and I came not to do my will. How, in other words, how could I have journeyed from heaven to come here and do my own? So ask yourself the same question, dear son of God, brother of Jesus. How could I have been saved and planted in a place to do my own? Ask yourself, where did I learn that from? Clearly, not from my elder brother. Clearly. You cannot have grasp of understanding of who you are in God through Christ and walk in resistance, obstinacy, insubordination, or rebellion. It's not possible. It is not. You cannot have come from heaven to do your own will. You could not have been planted in a place and refused to stay subject to what runs the place. Jesus didn't show us that example. He was obedient up until how he died. Vinegar in a sponge, according to prophecy. Everything according to prophecy. He knew it. He saw it. He knew it wasn't going to be funky. And he stayed with it. Stayed with it. Teaching us the pattern, because he's the pattern son. He's the one we are imitating. Teaching us, guys, the way into this. The way to unleash the fullness of the Father's will in your life is by submission. You can't insist on standing your ground and get anything from him. It has to be his will, not ours. Teach us to pray, Matthew 6, Luke 11. Our Father who art in heaven, always starting with worship. Hallowed be thy name. First request, thy kingdom come, thy will. It's all about his will, before what you eat. Give us this day, came later. Thy kingdom come. That's That's the gospel narrative. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now we can talk about this day, our daily bread. You have no right to think of what to eat and what to amass in the flesh if you are diametrically opposed to God's will. There's no pride in it. Pride in the Son of God being in resistance to God and being happy about it. You know this is what God's word says. You can't say you don't know. You have been taught. You have been, you have, you have been shown. And you insist. I'm not going to do it just because it's you that's telling me. Just because it's you that's saying it. I'm not going to do it. And this applies across board, I told you on Sunday. Marital relationships, business relationships, church pastoral relationships, all of it. The whole nine yards. You can't. That was not Jesus' attitude. So if we have that, that is an anti-Jesus attitude. And what does that show? A part of your mind that there's no light. No light. It's darkness. Transformer is blown. Are you following me now? There's no light in that place of your mind. But because a little... I better pass my neighbor Jen is on somewhere. A little rechargeable light is burning somewhere. You know, somewhere there are little sparks. Occasionally you would double upon the right thing. But because the main power source is out, you can't sustain it. So your mind is not fully renewed in a particular area, but you have, you have, you have allowed yourself to touch one or two things. Every now and then you act okay. Because we all want small Jen. We didn't fix the big problem. We didn't change the transformer in the area that can supply light to everybody. Yeah. We just want small gems running. So you go and plug your phone somewhere to charge. You get small charge. And life is not so bad. And so every now and then you, you double and you be nice and cute briefly. 
Because there's no light there. But you doubled upon a few sparks of something. In those moments, you are the sweetest person in the world. Oh, you're jovial and you're sweet and you're effectual and you're... And it burns out. There's no light in your mind. We just turned on a gen briefly. So when petrol runs out or the gen is tired or, or is out of oil and it goes off, off goes your momentary exuberance. Off goes your momentary sweetness. You lose it because really that part of your mind hadn't yet been fully regenerated. Hasn't been fully renewed. Hasn't received constant supply of power from your spirit. It just allowed it every now and then to double into small, small light. And that cannot sustain you. And then you're frustrated. And everybody around you is frustrated. There's no light in that department. It's just genuine, you manage small. Rechargeable light. A small solar battery. Something that momentarily gives you respite. Something that momentarily makes you appear like you, are, you got this. Then you surge and you go off. Because until you sit down with yourself, name your problem. Admit to yourself, this is my problem. Open yourself up to what God's word says about the problem. And determine, put yourself to a bond with yourself. That I am going to master this nonsense. You not go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. The word of God does not change you accidentally, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because what he would do, what he said, he would do what he said, he would do what he said. It does not change you accidentally, sir. Yes, sir. You must align your mind to what the word says. Yes, sir. Or else, eh, nothing gonna happen. Yes. Nothing will resist it. All you want, nothing will happen. God's word doesn't change people accidentally. Otherwise, you have to delete that scripture that says, "Receive with meekness." God's implanted or engrafted word which is able to save your soul. You have to receive the word that can save your soul, sir. You have to receive it. In other words, there's aspects of your soul, so aspects of the outplay of your salvation that you will never appropriate if you don't with meekness receive the word. Argue with yourself. Because you think that the truth about God's word is how you feel about it does not change how it is. It doesn't change how it is. That's why we use such great boldness of speech. Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. John 5.30 I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge because I do, I judge message just, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. I can of my own do nothing. I can of my own do nothing. The word there for I can or I cannot, the word I can is the word duname, which is the word power, which means ability. So, so Jesus was saying, I don't have the ability to do anything by myself. And, and that will not be accurate as it were at face value because it will imply that Jesus had no power, no mind, no will. But that wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, I have lost the ability. I've downplayed the ability to deploy myself at the expense of God's will. The same way Paul chose to not know anything in yes, Corinth yes, yes, except yes, Christ yes, and him crucified is the same way Jesus decided I am useless outside God's will. Not because he couldn't have done anything. I can have my own do nothing. Put it back up. As I hear a judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will. My judgment is righteous because it's not my will I'm seeking. So if I make a judgment, I can guarantee that it is righteous because it's the Father's will. He was so subject that he knew he could not get it wrong being submitted to the Father. Yeah. 
So if I say this is what it is, it is what it is because I'm submitted to the Father. I'm also keeping my own gain or glory. He walked in total submission. The apostles walked in total submission. I will end there. I'll pick it up from next week or from Sunday. I want to explore the dimension where you show, I show you that usually a drastic, a drastic change of circumstance in your life. In other words, if God will change the permutations of your life, if God will step in, for lack of a better word, today, intervene. Because he doesn't intervene. It's not God that will jump into your matter. What's that? God doesn't intervene. Are you here? You do nothing, you do nothing. Just take on and jump in. Sons of God grow up into his will. Sons grow up into his will. Sons grow up into his will. That's the exclusive preserve of sons. So if you will appropriate as your mind is renewed, what God has in Christ already given you, you must walk in submission. There was no time, there is no time in the entirety of scripture where God's will was enacted in the absence of a person's submission. We picked it up from there on Sunday. Not a single time. Salvation did not come because God said Noah should build an ark. Salvation came because Noah did. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God is sovereign and almighty. Go and check if he has done anything without the submittory participation of a man. Prophecies came, but somebody had to line up to birth it. Somebody had to depart from the norm. Somebody had to depart from what made sense to them. Somebody had to depart from what they had been taught. Somebody had to depart from what somebody thinks, says, or feels, and even what they had at stake for his will to come to pass in the earth. Because you see, God reckons his will as done, and his will is not done in the earth. That's why it says, I will be done on earth as. So in the mind of God, his will is complete. (laughs) God cannot see something as red and it is black. If it's black, it's your fault. Are you here today? If God reckons, otherwise you cannot be righteous. You're not righteous because you see yourself as righteous. Are you following me? You're righteous because he reckons you righteous. It's his reckoning. So as soon as God thought of you as righteous, you became righteous. Jesus became willing to come and give you the righteousness Jesus, God has made you. It's because God made you righteous that Jesus came. It's not because Jesus came that you are righteous. It started with God reckoning you righteous, crediting righteousness to you. Jesus now came and paid. So it didn't start with Jesus. Started in the mind of God, reckoning you a particular way. Does that make sense? I'm righteous because God made me righteous. That's why, that's why these things happened in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? He's the vehicle that gave birth to God's will, manifesting in the earth. The lamb was slain from the foundation. The word comes, but somebody has to line up to unpack it. Somebody has to line up to receive it. 
The word comes. Jesus himself came in the volume of the books. Somebody has to line up to receive it. So you're struggling with a particular dimension of what you want to see God do in your life. Just sort out the mind war. Watch stuff happen. See, God is more in a hurry to manifest in time the fulfillment of his eternal word than you are eager to see it manifested. No man ever told God, come and fulfill what you said. It's God in the fullness of time looking for vessels ready to birth what he has said. Otherwise, it would be said that you watch over his word to perform it. But he, 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 everything God does that would alter the trajectory of a man and set him on the path of his will is on the bedrock of submission. In other words, if you don't submit, you will miss his will. You miss his will. And he will always come to threaten areas of you that you have most security in. You came with the sophisticated Moabite test that you are. And then eventually arrive. I'll show you Ruth chapter 1 next week. And then Naomi now says, when he's drunk, go and uncover his feet and lie at his feet. He'll be like me. Flirt with a man with all my home training. I know I'm a widow, but I'm not that desperate. I'm not that desperate. I'm not even from here. I'm from Moab. We don't run like that in Moab. How come and tell me to go and get a man drunk? Lie down. And when he has drunk, I should now uncover his feet and lie down by his feet. Ah. But guess what was in that calculation? Jesus. So before you think you are forming morality and forming ethics and forming, I know I'm forming, this is who I am. And for me, think his will. Think his will. Before you are forming, this is my stand. This is my position. Holy Spirit told me. Think his will. Because you will not unleash that manifestation if your will is not in alignment to his. That's what makes you a faithful steward. Has anybody gotten anything tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.